The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for March 9th. 2022-year-old pal Justin Robert Young joining you, as we always do, here on the program. You know, we are in the midst of the midterms. We are in the midst of races that are going to decide the House, that are going to decide the Senate. And we are going to talk about stuff that is happening on Capitol Hill But it is odd that we have so much of the oxygen taken up by a foreign policy conversation in what is often a particularly domestic time on the political calendar. Let's remember back to the Obama era. I mean, Obamacare running up to that first midterm was something that was inescapable. We've fussed and feuded about border walls and dreamers in more recent incarnations. And yet, with such a historically aberrant military incursion happening in Europe with nukes on the board, well, it's hard to turn your head and look at anything else. We will discuss a United States executive order to no longer import Russian oil. UK going along with that too. Exactly what does that mean? Spoiler alert, not a ton for us, but does it put tremendous pressure on the EU, which is far more dependent on Russian oil? Yes, indeed. We will break all of that down. We also may actually finally possibly could fund the federal government. That would be a fun, interesting change. <laughs> uh, uh, this is something that that has been kicked down the road uh, so many times that the can m- might well be uh, shattered into atoms if anybody tries to do it uh, one more time. But it looks as if an omnibus spending bill will come through Congress. Both sides want to get it done. What are the remaining issues? We will tell you those. And we're going to do a little bit of citizens citizens research, citizens breakdown. This is not an expert breakdown. But one of the elements that I think you guys appreciate about this show is, number one, what what we wind up getting a lot is the fact that there is a lack of partisanship. But the other thing is that you guys seem to appreciate when there's a a little bit of a a revelation of how I put these things together, The, the bits of research that I do so I don't fall into certain traps of being 
you know, caught up on one side or the other. That is something that you guys seem to appreciate. And so we are going to do that with Ukraine and specifically something that was a major thread during the Sunday shows. We're bringing on Tom Merritt and we are going to discuss through our citizens research. Is the Russian military falling apart? Has Russia allowed their military to rot to the point where what they assumed would be a incursion they could measure in days is now stretching into weeks? This was something that was mentioned a lot on the Sunday shows, as I mentioned, but There are things that you can look up on the internet that are not particularly controversial that give us some clues as to beyond quote unquote expert analysis that that some of these things are true or not. I hopefully you guys enjoy it because it is definitely not the the uh, an expert opinion, but I do believe it is an informed opinion. And Tom, as always, is great. Bird first. It was the streetwise troubadour Daddy Yankee who said. She loves the gasoline. Give me more gasoline. But the she in that song almost certainly could not be Lady Liberty after the executive order put in place yesterday by Joe Biden. This according to Politico. Uh, Biden will announce a Russian oil import ban on Tuesday, avoiding a fight with Congress and his own party, which was poised to act on such a ban if he did not. The announcement will complete a shift for the White House, which two days ago expressed fear that an import ban would scan would send uh, gas prices skyrocketing. Officials were hopeful to enact a ban in lockstep with European allies, but they are now adjusting to what has become an overwhelming bipartisan interest in Capitol Hill. Within corners of the administration, in ridding the U.S. markets of Russian oil as Vladimir Putin continues his assault on Ukraine. Boris Johnson in the U.K. followed suit on that. So before we go any further, let's break down exactly what all that means. Number one, Joe Biden is experiencing a little bit of a boost in the polls right now. Now, there are two reasons that I would imagine for that. A, COVID is getting better. Apparently, I was the last person on earth to get it. Two, you have this situation that is a foreign policy issue, and the good guys from our perspective are winning. Now, if Ukraine got rolled over... And the popular Vladimir Zelensky's body was trailed on the back of a Russian tank. Maybe that would be different. But right now, this is kind of the best version of a foreign war that Joe Biden could hope for. He said Russia was going to attack. 
they did attack. And without the United States doing all that much, Russia's, if not losing, then, no, they're losing. They're losing. I mean, if, if the point is capture the flag, you ain't captured the flag yet. And based on the size of these armies, that should not be much of a contest. And meanwhile, Joe Biden can, by and large, you know, wear a Ukraine pin, talk about how Russia needs to stop and the sanctions that are getting put on. So far, so good with with most of those. They uh, mostly got all the Russian banks off of SWIFT. And the problem is that a lot of the stuff that the United States has done does not have a tremendous effect on U.S. voters. In fact, really messing with Russian exports on oil and gas is the only thing that has had much of an effect on the average American. Right now, gas is the highest that it has been in the United States, according to the to AAA, this was uh, from Tuesday. The average hit four dollars and seventeen cents a gallon. That is a record high, not adjusted for inflation. So, if you ban Russian oil, and therefore you are hoping that you are going to do it in lockstep with the European allies, how does that affect the United States? Well, not. A whole hell of a lot. The U.S. imports about 8% of its oil from Russia. At least that was last year. Most of our oil imports come from Canada, Mexico, Saudi Arabia. A reminder that we are the number two gas exporter. So we produce a lot of it ourselves. But Russian gas has increased over the past few years. This according to Barron's. In 2020, the U.S. imported 200 million barrels. The larger thing that this is going to affect is the world's price of oil. Oil is a one market. So anything that happens anywhere is going to drive the price either up or down. There's a reason why you have such tight controls by organizations like OPEC. So. If the U.S. does this and we don't really depend on Russian oil. And the UK does it, and they don't really depend on Russian oil. Then how does this affect Europe? Well, according to CNBC, the EU imported 155 billion cubic meters of natural gas from Russia in 2021, almost half of its gas imports and nearly 40% of the total amount used. Meanwhile, according to Eurostat, 39% of uh, of oil imports came from Russia in 2017. And by the way, for a few of these countries, including Estonia, Poland, Slovakia, and Finland, more than 75% of their imports for petroleum originated in Russia. Germany is also among those that are the most dependent on Russian energy. So if you are taking yourself out of the the, the realm of buying Russian energy, and if you're the U.S. and you're the U.K., 
then you are effectively drawing a line in the sand saying that anybody who does do this is funding Vladimir Putin directly. So they kind of have to do something. The EU major power states, at least the ones that are very influential in NATO. And let's just fill in all of that with Germany. All right, Germany is our mascot for all this. Well, what are they planning to do? Well, something very European. (laughs) The EU is going to outline or outlined a plan yesterday to cut Russian gas imports by two thirds within a year to reduce its dependency on the country's fuel supplies after Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Also of note throughout all of this is that it needs to make sure that it adheres to their own version of the Green New Deal, the EU's version of their climate change provisions. So if they get off oil or they get off natural gas, then they're still going to have to maybe burn more coal. So that's where we're at right now. The U.S. makes a move. It was a move that Biden was probably going to be forced to make. Although you could make the argument that there there is a political world in which Biden should have let Congress do this by themselves. Because at the very least, at that point, Republicans would have to take credit for it if the mood sours on high gas prices, which it is almost assuredly going to do eventually. That is something that to, to keep an eye on around the corner. Because gas prices right now are ridic. Upwards of $7 a gallon in some parts of California. And right now, you, know, you got Stephen Colbert on TV talking about how it's patriotic to spend a few more dollars at the pump. But inflation is inflation is inflation. When the adrenaline wears off of this war and and who knows when that's going to happen, how it's going to happen. But when the adrenaline wears off, which it will, if prices are still really high, then you are going to see blame. And if Biden did this by executive order, then he will be able to be blamed for it, regardless of the fact that the Republicans are also calling for the exact same move. You know, them's them's politics. <laughs> you know, uh, if if gas is high and and the guy did the thing, then you're gonna blame the guy for the thing. That's it, it's just it's just what it is. As of right now, the United States of America is being run on a budget that was put into place in December of 2020. Yes, under the tutelage of then-President Donald Trump, who still believed he was the president, but that's a story for another day. In case you've been in a coma, I am currently talking to you on March 9th, 2022. That is a long time. And it's because the Biden era Congress has issued continuing resolutions 
because they haven't been able to pass a full budget that would fund the federal government, despite the fact that the one they are operating on now is both out of date and from the wrong party, at least in terms of those that are in power right now. All of that might change in the next 48 hours. In fact, there is massive pressure and good vibes that there will be a new budget passed by the end of the week when the most recent continuing resolution expires. Should that not happen, the government would shut down. That's not going to happen, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. So what is holding up this massive budget? Let's go through a few things. Number one, there's going to be a lot more military funding than progressives want. Oh, Boy, that progressive wish list when Biden came into power. You remember when Bernie dropped out? Bernie dropped out earlier than he did against Hillary Clinton because he actually likes Joe Biden. And he he talked about, oh, what a great partner this was going to be. And it certainly seemed that that was going to be the case. There was that that whole uh you know, the, the the Bernie got the lead point on, on the Build Back Better stuff and keeping the bills united. Well, that didn't end up particularly well. And, and now another major progressive wish, which is that the Pentagon's budget doesn't continue to balloon and balloon and balloon. Seems like it will go unfulfilled. Russia's assault on Ukraine means that the uh, uh, push to keep the, the Pentagon's desire for cash down has all but failed. There is going to be an enormous government funding measure expected to include a Pentagon budget of far uh, that far exceeds the $715 billion that Biden initially had earmarked, with at least $10 billion more in emergency aid to help bolster Ukraine specifically from a military perspective. Meanwhile, on the Republican side. Yep, Mitch McConnell wants to begin to rein in COVID-era programs that he views as dangerous for continuing to go on. Among them, a program giving out free lunches. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is forcefully opposing a provision in the omnibus spending bill that would extend a slew of waivers that have allowed schools to serve universal free meals during the pandemic. Quote, McConnell is not budging, said a person close to the ongoing negotiations. It hurts everybody in every state. These are things Republicans want. I'm getting the sense with this story that this is how they want to hit McConnell. This is a classic Republicans are absolutely evil and they are looking for reasons to take your eyeball out of your socket and put it in your armpit. That's an old DC phrase. But I, from the Republican side, what I'm gathering from, from researching on this is what they want to do is just not make everything that happened during COVID permanent in a non COVID world. So this is one of them. Speaking of COVID. We're getting billions of new COVID money. House and Senate appropriators are still trying to find offsets for billions of dollars in new COVID relief. 
requested by the White House. The Biden administration has wanted $22.5 billion in new COVID relief money, but Republicans are rejecting their request without a, quote, accounting of the trillions of dollars in COVID funding already approved by lawmakers. Congress is likely to greenlight roughly $15 billion more, according to sources close to the issue. This, by the way, is something that uh, is, is bipartisan. You know, a lot of the COVID money that was approved throughout the last two years that we've been dealing with this have had weird strings attached to it, including a, a, a sunsetting on when they were allowed to spend it, meaning that a lot of money is now unspent and not allowed to be spent. So I do think that there is a reasonable push to say before we put a bunch of, uh, you know, billions more into it, is there anything we can be we, that can be done with the dead money that has already been put into play and just quite simply not spent? Still, with all that being said, we are on the one yard line in football terms. This seems to be going to happen. Now, when? That's a big question. So by the time you hear this, there may or may not be a bill out there. Oh, by the way, by the time that I'm reading, uh, giving you all this information, I'm at about noon central time on Tuesday. There still isn't a bill out there for people to read. This is going to be a a, a trillions of dollars uh, uh, involved, and there is no bill for people to read. And they're expecting on votes at the very least by by Friday, if not sooner. In fact, we may or may not have the bill in the House by the time that you listen to this, because the House is supposed to adjourn on Wednesday and allow Democrats to head to Philadelphia for an annual legislative retreat. So it will almost assuredly, if the House members want to go on their retreat on time, they will have to pass this and then send it to the Senate. Uh, the Senate will then have to pass it by Friday. But if we're talking about whether, if we're talking about the the, the free lunch programs and progressives getting over the fact that the Pentagon is going to get another gigantic amount of money, then I think, I think we're close. Biden might actually have his first budget and before the midterms. Good job. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this show, there's only one place that you can go for bonus content. It's a bonus episode on Monday, a bonus episode on Thursday. Uh, spoiler alert, we are we're gonna do a feed drop for another uh, non-PX3 show for Friday's program because uh, well, quite frankly, I, I got I got caught up, y'all. Uh, uh, there is a a thing that I have to go out of town for. This week, um, and then combined with the fact that uh, we had the whole uh, we had the whole COVID thing over the, the the week before that, I'm just gonna need a little bit of a breather, and so we're gonna do another. I'm gonna give you content, but it just won't be PX3 content on Friday. Uh, but 
for folks who are patrons. You're still going to get your podcast on Thursday covering the latest news that we can possibly cover on our PX3 podcast schedule. Head on over there. It is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And before we go any further, I do want to shout out somebody very specific. Because this man has given to the show in every way I, I think I know possible. He gave an, an, a generous amount. Thank you. Over the Venmo. Sent me a physical check to my P.O. box. And I believe supports the show via uh, Patreon. So, Alan Y., thank you so much. Thank you. This is an independent operation. It is entirely funded by you guys. Head on over right now for bonus content. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Throughout the fog of war, all we can ever hope is that we are not actively fooling ourselves. There's no shame in not knowing. And there's no shame in declaring the areas that you do not believe yourself to be an expert. But even if you are somebody who knows everything about a subject, when you are talking about the highly, highly, highly cloudy and misinformation-prone field of an active war zone, well, it's easy to get over your skis. And so, in the grand tradition of, uh, of, of citizen analysis, I have convened somebody for whom I consider to be uh, uh, one of the best at doing his due diligence. He is the host of the Daily Tech News Show, he is my friend. He is your friend. He is the world's friend, Tom Merritt. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, there is a, uh, a, a very interesting thing that I think happens in both of our jobs, for me with politics, for you with tech, uh, where we are learned people. <laughs> we do research for a living. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, the more you become, you know, a quote unquote experienced in a field, you realize that there's a lot of stuff that's very complicated. And uh, uh, that also happens for us in our personal lives, like everybody, where you see things that are outside of your natural field of, of study and you just want to make sense of them. So you tweeted something last night that uh, uh, dovetailed onto points that were made on the PX3 Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show that I had just recorded, which basically boils down to to this. Let me let me read your tweet first, and then I, I will tell you what was said on on the Sunday shows. Uh, the Russo-Georgian War in 2008 was the closest thing the war in Ukraine and modern Russia has fought. It lasted 12 days with several hundred casualties and 192,000 or so displaced people. 
Right now, the war in Ukraine is entering its 12th day. And the reason why that stuck out to me is because I had just gotten done watching all these Sunday shows where various different people, politicians, military experts, people on the field, like so not just one chattering class, not just State Department uh, uh, talking points, were all making the same point that Russia's military is not only not performing, it is quite possibly embarrassing itself on a nearly historic level. And 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 your stat there to me was like, oh, oh, that would be a great way to judge whether or not that is realistic or or a good observation is to look at, well, how have they fought these last few few wars? So I wanted to have you on just so we could talk through uh, 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 all all of this and see what we can make sense of. Yeah. Uh, where my head was at, I actually wrote that while I was in a car wash, uh, just, you know, waiting, waiting for the car wash to finish. Uh-huh. Uh, and as you do, so you, you, are, uh, you are entering the car wash saying, I wonder what Russia's recent military <laughs> record is. Exactly. I, well, I've been, I've been hearing all of these, these comparisons to Russian military action and, you know, Ru- Russia has, has fought previous wars in this or that way. Uh, a lot of analysis saying that they often, go in, uh, mess up a little at first and then start heavy bombardment to achieve their goals. And and there were comparisons to Transnistria in Moldova, Chechnya, uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia in Georgia, uh, as well as Syria, where where they came in and and aided. uh, 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 Sure, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, So I thought, okay, well, what was Georgia like? How does it compare to this? Uh, because this, and my first question was, how long did it last? Uh, and when I looked it up, I was like, oh, 12 days. That's where we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my, where my head went then was, what was their approach in Georgia? And was it different? Did they did they go in and bomb? They took over four cities in Georgia, yeah. uh, from from what I read. Uh, rather, rather not neatly, but certainly compared to what they've done in Ukraine, uh, much more neatly. And... I also noticed that Russia went in with the world opinion much less against it than it did yeah. in Ukraine. Uh, it went in as a peacekeeping force, which, you know, roll your eyes, put quotes around it. Yeah. Uh, it also acted like a peacekeeping force by that 12th day. In fact, they had already started to stand down saying, We've achieved our aim of protecting the Russian uh, minority in Georgia. Uh, you know, we are we are going to occupy these cities only as long as as the peace uh, arrangement can be implemented. They were already talking about resolving this in a way that they're not in Ukraine. The rhetoric around Ukraine has been, uh, you know, this this uh, this action uh, is is going to continue until you meet our demands. Yeah, uh, it's much more focused on the West, whereas in Georgia, for lots of different reasons, it was focused on we really just want this territory, which is why when we talked uh, on PX3 previously, I thought, well, maybe that's what he wants to do in the Donbass. He's just going to go in, yes. take those over like he took over uh, South Ossetia uh, and then back off. And that's not what Russia is doing right now. I still can we just go back to that conversation because I felt really good about that conversation that we had me, you, Brian and uh, uh, Jen Briney uh, right after we did it, where I was like, man, there was a lot of context. I, I felt like I knew a lot more about it, but I think it was safe to say that all of us were scared 
skeptical of the State Department loudly ringing the bell that this was going to be a full on invasion and tanks would be rolling toward Kiev. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then the that's exactly what happened. Like the State Department gets the chicken dinner for being exactly right on that. And we, you know, in in hindsight, looked maybe a little uh, a little a little too scantsy pants at, at at this notion. But at the same time, I I can't help but look at what's happening and say, did the Russian military believe uh, us on that podcast in the same way that that, that we were skeptical <laughs> of it? Because it kind of looks like it. Like it looks like this is a, a totally disorganized thing when you compare it to either what we thought was going to happen, strategic annexation, uh, saber rattling on newly redefined borders, uh, uh, declaring a victory, and then possibly expanding a little bit further, taking over some city adjacent to it or something like that under peacekeeping auspices. Uh, but this, from from what you've been been looking through, like this is not the same. Like the the Georgia incursion was not the same as what happened here. This is straight out. You know, Putin's talking about the loss of sovereignty of 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 Ukraine. This is literal capital I invasion. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm right there with you on wondering if if the generals even didn't believe Putin of like, eh, yeah. he always he always saber rattles, but we'll have the military ready for what we did in Georgia. Uh, and 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 what they're doing in Ukraine seems to compare from what I've read. And, and, I, and I may have been reading too simply, but it seems to compare to what they did in Georgia, which was a little bit of a shambles uh, on the ground an invasion, but some heavy bombardment got them some cities. Uh, and then they achieved their aim of of securing South Ossetia and and pulled back. The generals maybe maybe caught off the front foot of like thought we were just going into the Donbass. You know, I, yeah. I thought maybe the the invasion from the north and the south was was merely uh, supportive, not let's take Kiev. So I I looked further for okay. well, what is he up to then? Like if he doesn't just want to pull the Donbass in. Uh, what what is he doing? Does he want to conquer Ukraine? Like well, that seems yeah, crazy. Let's, let's let's also point out for listeners when this airs on Wednesday, on Monday, which is when we are recording this, uh, there has been a formal demand, a series of demands from the Russian government that include uh, uh, ceasing of fighting, obviously. Uh, of a commitment to not join from the Ukrainian side, to not join NATO or the EU and to recognize these newly independent uh, areas that, that Putin recognized right before the war, the Donbass regions as independent areas. So, so that those are the demands right now. Now, the fact that Russia is asking for demands now on day 12 of a military incursion is is something that that you know might might raise some eyebrows but, but let's go back into to to the context here. Yeah, so uh in my poking around and again my my qualifications here are I, I wrote a paper on on Crimea uh, in 1989 uh and one on Lithuania in, in 1989 I dated a Ukrainian girl at college uh, and I do my, you know, I do my own poking around here. So yes. apologies to the actual are, historians if I make a misstep here and there. We, yeah, uh, we are, we are just people who have made our living researching other things on the internet, and yeah. we are now applying our research tactics here. That is, that is, that is what we are doing. We are giving you guys a citizens' uh, a breakdown of things we found. So one of 
the things that I, I think Jim Briney has been great at highlighting uh, is is the sort of tug and uh, tug, tug of war over whether Ukraine would pivot towards Europe or Russia. Uh, and and she's done a great job of explaining the United States role in all that. Uh, but I dug back a little farther and because I saw a reference saying there were elements of the Ukrainian constitution that pointed it towards Europe. Yeah. Uh, there were amendments made in 2004. OK, so way back to the Ukrainian constitution that weakened the powers of the president. They passed with limited debate and the EU even criticized that limited debate. But but basically it said the president can't appoint the prime minister. He can only appoint a couple of cabinet ministers, really shifted it towards a parliamentary system. In 2010, the constitutional court uh, was urged under Yanukovych, who was a more sympathetic to, to Russia, Russia president yep. uh, and a Russian speaking president from the, the, the eastern region. Uh, the constitutional court of Ukraine overturned those 2004 amendments and Yanukovych then reverted them. So, so took them out, said those are yeah. not applicable anymore, uh, restoring the stronger powers to the president. The European Human Rights Commissioner objected to this because apparently four judges retired from the court in advance of that decision. And the European Human Rights Commissioner claimed that there was political pressure behind that. In other words, they were, they were trying to get the court into shape uh, to do what Yanukovych wanted. Here's the part that got really interesting for me. On February 21st, 2014, so four years after those amendments had been reverted, the Ukrainian parliament restored the amendments. This was with a vote. So it wasn't like the first time where they just sort of like sneaked yeah. in. Uh, they sent it to Yanukovych. Yanukovych refused to sign those measures. Those amendments did have stronger language on Europe. And when Yanukovych refused to sign them, he was deposed in the Euromaiden. Uh, or the revolution of dignity, it, yeah. it, the, the revolution that that kicked him out. Uh, and they they put those amendments back in place, weakening the powers of the president ever since. That was February 21st, 2014, when the parliament uh, restored those amendments. February 22nd, the next day, Russian unrest began in the Donbass. Gotcha. August 2014, six months later, Unmarked tanks rolled into Donetsk, part of the Donbass, uh, and and you know they don't say they're from Russia, but they're Russian tanks without the insignia on them. Yeah, and so we get the whole Donbass uprising, uh, the 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 republics that that want to separate. Here's where it got even more interesting to me. One of the things I know from studying Russian history in college is that. A lot of people don't realize that the Soviet Union was made up of Russia. Czarist Russia had conquered all of those, most all of those lands. Yeah. And what Lenin did was he gave some lands independence, quote unquote. You can have your own Soviet Socialist Republic, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova. These were based along ethnic and linguistic lines because Lenin wanted uh, it, it was the idealistic side, right? It's not the Stalinist Russia. It's the idealistic, like yeah. the people who are together will work harder together in the worker state. So let's give them control over their regions, even if we have to have some central control from Moscow. And of course, Stalin and, 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 this, and this is later. part of when Putin goes into his his you know deep dive history stuff. This is what he was criticizing with with Ukraine that that yeah. there should have never been that it, you know the, the Russian 
Feder- the, the Russian, uh, uh, you know, Russia as a whole should have stayed what it was. And, and those cracking off of those little pieces so they could feel better about themselves under the the dome of the USSR was a mistake. Now, the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is even the Russian Soviet Republic, which was part of the USSR, had its own republics within it. There's okay. Tatarstan. There's 20 some republics that are also organized on ethnic lines. And those are those are a little more autonomous than your oblast or your cry, uh, which are the other subunits. They're more like our like our states. Uh, these these are sort of autonomous units that that exist within Russia. And so when you go into South Ossetia uh, and when you probably what I was expecting they wanted in the Donbass was we are going to take those republics, the Republic of South Ossetia, which only Russia recognizes, make it part of Russia as a as part of the Russian Federation. There is also a union state of Russia and Belarus formed in 1999. Wait, what? Yeah. There's this. A, you, all right. So a, 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 like on a Venn diagram, there's like a little bit of gray in between them. Well, so the reason I went into all that Soviet history and the yeah. fact that Russia has federated republics is to make sure that we're not talking about that. We are talking about, well, actually, we're not talking about the republics that are autonomous units within Russia. We're talking about something that looks a little more like the USSR, which is in 96, Belarus Belarus and Russia declared a commonwealth where they would have like easier trade and fluid borders. And then in 1999, they made the union state of Russia and Belarus, which is an EU style organization, or at least it's meant to be. It's kind of moribund. Uh, they, they, they reinstalled some customs things, but EU also has some custom things going on within its borders, but it is a very nascent attempt by Russia to create an EU around Russia instead of around Europe, gotcha. with the rest of Europe. So the, and, and, the and, and U- so wait, so, so, so it was just so I could wrap my head around this. So Belarus would have been the first member along with Russia in this yes, union right now it okay. exists yeah. there there are some uh free travel uh if you're from belarus uh you know a- almost uh schengen area style travel between belarus and russia they're the only two members but abkhazia and south ossetia those annexed parts of georgia yep uh that that aren't part of russia but have this sort of quasi republic state have observer status in that oh. union Oh, so they get some kind of benefits. Yeah. So, so Russia sort is of trying like, to trying to offer beyond just saying, okay, well, there's ethnic lines, and obviously, there's going to be some parts of these countries for which I have more sympathies toward Russia, and they got their own beef towards City Hall when it comes to uh, uh, their their local government. Uh, we also understand that part of the honey that attracts these Soviet republics westward are money and travel and benefits. And what we want to do is create our own little, like, you know, like, like, like when, when, when Walmart first put together their own little version of Amazon prime, like, like they don't know exactly how to do it. It's not quite as good as the other one, but it's something you got to start somewhere. You got to start. EU thinks it's so hot. We are going to create a Russian version of that, of our own. Uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan have both expressed interest in joining. And that 
Nova Rosia project that you've heard so little about is yeah. also part of this. Nova Rosia is the name of a project that intends to join Donetsk, Donetsk and Luhansk, the uh, the two Donbass republics, yeah, with southern Ukraine, which it considers to be part of its its wider Donbass uh, region, connected to Crimea. Novorossiya would be a federation of the Donbass and Crimea, and Novorossiya would like to also join this union state. So the two newly recognized independent areas, the connective tissue between those and Crimea, they want to be their own recognized thing. And, and they would also like to be part of, of this, of Russia's version of the EU. Now, all of this has been sort of like, well, that's an interesting fact, but irrelevant in the modern society, right? Because Novorossiya doesn't exist. It uh, didn't have much uh, hope of existing. The union state barely operates. It's, it, it exists on paper. It has a few benefits, but really has no impact yeah. on the world economy. But if you look at the map of where Russian troops are in southern Ukraine, and you look at the map of what Novorossiya would like to be Novorossiya, they are very similar. You know, and that gets back to part of what was uh, being talked about yesterday in terms of the uh, the Russian army that there were a few experts that I, I, I heard and a few things that I read that basically made the point that the reason why things are bad now is almost purely coordination. And, and without saying it, they were basically saying like, look, the air power is in one area. The ground power is in another area. The infantry is down South. It feels like everybody's got different aims. And if you were all trying to secure a small piece of land where a bunch of people really kind of wanted you there anyway, then taking the long way round is probably not the worst thing on the planet. When you are trying to subjugate a country of 40 million and, and you seem to be doing it in, from all angles, you need to really concentrate all of your power at the tip of the spear or else you're going to be in a quagmire because your enemy knows the country better than you do. And they're going to fight harder because it's their land. Uh, that is, that is another, another wrinkle to this is like, if part of the army's like, Hey, look, we were here to help secure this area. We were here to connect these two independent republics to Crimea. And, and then, you know, we could, we could move on like that. That was what we were planning to do. That, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a long weekend job for us, you know, like, and now here we are a, a fortnight uh, in. And again, I don't know what I'm talking about when I say this, but we looking yes, at let, all let, of this, let, let's under, underline that again. We are doing our <laughs> a, best. A, a potential scenario would be to say, we are going to make Novorossiya real. Uh, we are going to do that by invading from the east and the south. But in order to ensure the success, we are also going to invade from the north as a feint, put pressure on Kiev. That way, when we reach a ceasefire, we will more likely be allowed to stay in the south. Yeah. And, and so 
the 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 column that's broken down, the problems in the north could be uh, distractions, and that is somewhat the Russian style to to look like you're overreaching in order to be able to retreat to your original goal. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if this ends up with Putin saying, fine, 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 we will we'll we'll, we'll, ca- we'll call peace. Uh, but we have liberated these Russian speakers in the South and we're not going to we'll stick around to ensure their security. But we'll leave the rest of Ukraine and Ukraine is left with less than it had before, as well as damaged so that it can't you know, potentially go and try to take take those areas back very easily. I think if the idea is to cripple Ukraine. And and that, yeah, uh, uh, we can we can have a debate on whether or not this is like, you know, a reminder that. Russia, I believe, has the fourth largest army in in the world. Uh, uh, at least that was the stats that I was reading yesterday. Uh, you know, this is an embarrassing showing for the fourth largest army in the world. If you are 12 days in and and you have been at, at this at this level, like if the the real goal here is no matter what, maybe it is embarrassing, maybe it's not. It doesn't matter because what you want to do is put tremendous institutional pressure on Ukraine, leave a gigantic problem for the the government that's in there and hopefully let that rot for the next several years. Taking a chunk out of Ukraine, Ukraine would certainly be a part of it. The question is now, you know, is that more or less likely considering the world has kind of hardened in its opinion against Russia? Like I, I, I feel like in another, in another scenario where, you know, EU allies to Russia, like, like Germany, you know, have not been pushed as far as, as they have, um, you know, you might see some Western pressure to be like, you want to know what? Take the deal, Zelensky. You win. You you get to you get to say that you repelled Russia. Give up these two areas. You never have to hear about the Minsk agreement uh, 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 again. And 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 just move on. I don't know if that's if that's the case here. But again, now now we're now we're we're, yeah. we're also moving I, into I, and, and trust other me, areas. I, I don't either. There's all there's all kinds of holes in the theory, right? Uh, and also, I, I, so much has changed, and it, and it continues yeah. to change. Like like these things that have been recalcitrant of of like, oh, Putin, brilliant military mind who always will just take as much as he possibly can because he knows how far he can push the West without them doing something out the window. Now he's yeah. impetuous, possibly dying, sitting at ever longer tables, <laughs> and uh, 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 just. Uh, possibly bad at his job who knows right we don't like at germany the eu all these things that were like well we know that they're well no we don't i mean even switzerland was was right. uh, or you know then renouncing neutrality it's like what what on earth i i i think what i described might have been the plan on paper uh, yeah. obviously the one thing that we left out was there will always be a condition that Peace requires Ukraine to somehow say they're not going to join NATO. They're yes. not going to join. You're not going to get NATO to say someone can't join. That's yeah. That's always been a fool's bargain. And no, no alliance is going to be like, 
uh, we'll we'll rule out uh, potentials, but you might get Ukraine to say, we will not, you know, some fudgy language of like, we will not pursue membership in the EU or NATO at this time, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Putin wants that too. He wants, he wants to, he wants to be assured. He wants a constitutional change was, was his demand. Yeah. And and that is that goes back to that two thousand those two thousand four amendments and when they were brought back in in twenty fourteen obviously that pro Russian unrest in the Donbass began in twenty fourteen when those amendments went in so so maybe you get something changed there and they're like well we're not saying never but well I'll take it out of the constitution no problem and then Putin's like great I'll just push for a coup later and get yeah. my own friendly person <laughs> in there no problem uh, also if you think about going into NATO remember these last twelve days uh, you know you don't want to go through that again do you it kind of works in in his favor but you're right that was might have been the plan on paper. I mean, I certainly see a world where the oligarchs come in and say, wait, we need peace. And the peace is this plan on paper with Novorossiya yeah. uh, separating from Ukraine. But will the rest of the world say like, all right, fine, we'll let you back into SWIFT. We'll, we'll turn the gas pipes back on uh, if that's the case. I don't know. They very well may, but I don't know. I mean, that's that's the question that I have is, you know, if we see a thawing here from Russia, and it is economically motivated. Number one, this would be probably the most effective use of sanctions I've ever seen in my life because, you know, uh, uh, if there's one thing that I grew up understanding uh, uh, growing up in South Florida, a a few miles away from Cuba is that sanctions can last a very long time. (laughs) You know, they don't, there's all kinds of sanctions. Some can be effective. Some are not, some are not right. And uh, uh, you know, it, it, if if that is the case, I mean, and 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 yeah, I don't want to go relitigate kind of the run up to this, but that's why I also thought that it's like we should have been putting some sanctions on before this happened. When when the buildup was happening, if we were uncomfortable with the with with the buildup and stuff like that, you should say, look, we're going to start putting sanctions on because we'll take them off when these when these uh, when this troop movement removes. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, I see that both ways because uh, especially looking at this union state thing, Russia is like. This is no different than, you know, troops in in Europe moving around, doing exercises. Uh, And if you put sanctions on before a country does a thing, well, then you can't put them on as the punishment, right? You don't punish people before they do the thing. But here's the thing. Well, I might as well do the thing because you punished me already. But we, but we've, but we've, we've like, we've been moving in, in levels the entire time. Like, that's the only thing is it's like, well, yeah, once yeah, you yeah. start no, on I level see it one, all the, all your yeah, way it's like, no, yeah. just do level one and then a level two and then a level three. Uh, before we, before we get out of here, let me uh, talk about something that I know you definitely have a lot of expertise in. And that is uh, how much this affects our supply chain, specifically when you talk about uh, some of the chip shortage, which has been a major issue through the pandemic because of, uh, uh, logistical issues, getting stuff across the Pacific ocean, but also for folks, you know, in, in Russia, Russia, you know, has been criticized by John McCain famously as being a, a gas station masquerading as a, a country because they rely so heavily on gas and oil exports, but they also sit on a lot of, uh, uh, rare metal mines and, and a lot of the stuff is, manufactured through through Ukraine. So so can you give us a sense of uh from from the DTNS perspective yeah, yeah. whether or not this is going to be a chip shortage issue? Uh it can be. Uh and and there there's there's varying opinions about how much it will be or how long it has to go on before it will be. Um it's it's the gases used in chip lithography uh, that seem to be the biggest issue. Okay. Uh, 
as part of the, the steel industry in Russia, there's a lot of gases, particularly krypton and neon gases used in chip making uh, that come in raw form from as a byproduct from Russia. Uh, and neon in particular is about 50% of the world's neon gas is refined because you have to refine it before you use it in lithography is refined in Odessa. Uh, so the, the chip industry organizations have been saying, you know what, we've got, we've got plenty of gas to keep chip lithography going uh, for a while. Uh, there are alternative sources uh, that, that we can encourage. Uh, we don't think this will have a material impact this year. Uh, if it went on more than a year, you know, check with us then. We might have figured something out. Uh, the counter to that is it takes a long time to cultivate those alternate sources because you can't just turn them on. You have to vet them, make sure they're quality. You know the Odessa refinement works. What about these other places if they start uh, doing it? And there's also uh, the 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 uh, toilet paper effect, uh, for lack yeah. of a better word, which is, yeah, there's plenty of gas for the next year and everybody's worried about running out. So everybody just started buying up more gas and stockpiling it. Just in case. Means just- now there's a shortage in the in the gas. Uh there, there was some talk about, well, if we're not selling chips, Intel and AMD, for instance, aren't selling any of their chips, not even just the sanctions, but they are not selling even chips that they could sell uh, to Russia under the sanctions they're not selling. Uh, does that save any for the rest of us? And the fact of the matter is Russia doesn't buy a lot of loose chips. Uh, they, they, they account for 0.1% roughly uh, of the world's chip consumption. They don't build a lot of things there. Uh, the chips going into Russia are usually in products already. So uh, cutting off Ship production to to Russia doesn't really increase the world supply too much. Yeah, and 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 so far that I mean that that is that is not a big enough uh, industry. Although I guess the gas stuff. I mean, if if you had sanctions on gas imports from from Russia, then then that could affect it, right? You mean the neon gas? The yeah, neon gas? yeah. I mean that's already happening. That that yeah. they're they're already seeing a reduction in that. Um, but again, they think they have enough stockpiles to last through the year if everybody stops stockpiling. Which, you know, easier said than done. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- this is, um, I, it's very interesting. I almost really want to do like a very, <laughs> I'm glad we've stayed away because my natural inclination is to go into like totally hacky, like, you know, so Tom, Putin crazy or not? Is he crazy now? <laughs> yes or no? Let's. <laughs> I, I mean, no, he's not. I, you, you have to assume he's not, or he wouldn't have lasted this long. The, the oligarchs would have taken him out. Uh, yeah. The question isn't whether he's crazy. The question is, has he lost? Ha, have has he lost the confidence of people who support his power? It doesn't appear that he has. Even when the oligarchs are saying it's time for peace, to me that rings as a part of the plan of like, all right, now you guys go in and start pressing for peace, and we'll come to the table and we'll keep no, you know, uh, that seems normal. There are way more protests on the street than you might think, given the the strict penalties, like fifteen years in prison for for yes. unlicensed protests on the street. I don't see any indication that they've got to the point where they would topple the government. Uh, they seem pretty far from that. So to me, it's it's not a matter of whether he's crazy. It's a matter of, you know, has he crossed the line where the powers that be in Russia will say, sorry, Vladimir, it was great while it lasted. We need to turn to somebody else. And I don't see any sign of that. I get and that's and that's the thing is that I especially passed the you know, the the run up to this where uh, a, a position that I was skeptical of turned out to be 100 percent right. 
I, I want to really inter- interrogate my priors. And my priors here are, I would like it if the Russian military all slipped on a uh, banana peel and embarrassed themselves and Vladimir Putin was just a total, uh, uh, you know, basket case by way of the last few years of COVID and has like reduced himself to talking to like one butler and a stuffed animal and and everybody else is just kind of pretending that the, the words that are coming out of his mouth are the same <laughs> tactician that existed before. That's what I would like in my head. I, I don't know. Uh, I think that, that you always got to push against that. And I think the reality is probably closer to there was a plan here. And like you pointed out through all of this, it is consistent with this larger plan of destabilizing former Soviet satellite states by way of annexing uh, ethnically uh ethnically Russian areas that already have a beef with their local government uh, continue to use that as a hedge against NATO and EU adoption. And then maybe this bite of the apple just looked too juicy and, and he just couldn't help himself and wanted to go further. Biggest bite of the apple yet, uh, whether he can swallow it or not, not the world is waiting to see. Exactly. And it's like, you know, did, uh, uh, will he have, will he have choked on it? But we will find out Tom Merritt host of daily tech news show. Anything else that you want to uh, let the people know about? Uh, yeah. If you, if you, if you like, uh, hearing what I'm up to hearing my thoughts, uh, freetomnewsletter.com. go, go check it out. Uh, every week I, I put my thoughts in there what, you know, what I've been up to links to all my shows, freetomnewsletter.com. There you go. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, man. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Tom for that conversation, you can go ahead on over to px3guest.com. You can always email the program, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter, px3 tweets. Our uh, Twitch is px3 live. Uh, we've We've been missing an action there. For a couple, uh, I mean, probably a week and a half by the time that we get back to it. But we're, we're, we're back next week. Our podcast can be shared at px3podcast.com and get all your merch at Politics Merch. Hey, one more thanks to Alan Y. For for being just what, a, what an amazing stud uh, uh, donating financially to the show. Uh, thank you for your generosity, sir. If you would like to be like him and send me some some Venmo money, some some online funds, you can do so. The Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Our PayPal is paypal.me slash payjury. Our cash app is px3cash. And you can always send a physical check. P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Just go ahead and make it out to Justin. Of course, the only way to get our bonus content is to go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets you all that and your name read like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. Unsafe DB level, Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie McNeemeister, Dr. G, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Utah. 
uh, Edmund Pluribus Unum beats Spicery, 70s TV salesman or spy. D really. And vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DB4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Berkeley Steven, Diana Silent Slumbers, Katie Stitch, Adam L., Double K Ranch, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, The Opposable Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle Age, Mike, The Gen, J. Pink, and Andrew. If you would like your name read right there, then uh, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Doing a feed drop on Friday. We will be back with you. I'll be fully recovered on Monday. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.